From the outside, it seems like we just decided to have an idea and we gave it a try and overnight it was just an instant success. And it really isn't doing the journey justice. So for us, we really believe that the reason why we've been able to have any success at all is that we failed and we learned from our failures. Welcome to The Road to Why by the Northern Trust Institute, a show where business owners and entrepreneurs discuss their life's work and explore the intersection of business, family, wealth, and legacy. I'm your host, Eric Chapea, Director of Business Services at Northern Trust. What could be better than chocolate chip cookies? Warm chocolate chip cookies. You know what's better than warm chocolate chip cookies? Warm chocolate chip cookies delivered to you. My guests today know this better than just about anyone. Tiff and Leon Chen started their business, Tiff's Treats, in 1999, delivering warm chocolate chip cookies out of Leon's college apartment in Austin, Texas. Today, Tiff's Treats has 90 stores, 1,800 employees, and continues to grow. On our last two episodes, our guests were entrepreneurs who were turning to the next chapter in their lives, either having sold their business or focusing on philanthropic endeavors. Our guests today, however, are still in the thick of it. Tiff and Leon are actively growing their business while navigating life as young parents and somehow finding time to contemplate their own long-term plans. But to understand their journey, we need to start at the beginning, 20 years ago, with one college student being stood up on a date. Yeah, so the whole thing started when uh, I asked Tiff out on a date and was expecting her to show up, and she didn't. (laughs) Well, that's true. I was ice skating with a friend, and it went a little longer than I expected, and I didn't have a cell phone. And I didn't stop off and do the payphone thing I should have done to say, sorry, I'm going to be a bit late. And so ended up standing him up on this date. Now, we were college sophomores at the time. So we were on winter break um, from the University of Texas, and we were in Dallas at our parents' house. And when I got home, my mom said, hey, that was really rude. You should do something to apologize. And one of my hobbies at the time was baking cookies. So I baked him a set of chocolate chip cookies, drove over to his house and said, I'm sorry I missed the date. Here's some cookies to apologize. And he took one bite and said, we should do this as a business. It's going to be just like pizza delivery. We're going to bake cookies fresh and deliver them straight out of the oven. And so my um, response was, no, I didn't want to do it. We were 19. We were sophomores at UT. So I really just wanted to be a college student. So I said no, but we ended up chatting for the rest of the afternoon. My memory is that He kept coming back and back and back with how fun this is going to be, how easy it's going to be, how much money we're going to make, all of which, of course, turned out to be completely untrue. But he was, you know, he kind of started getting me jazzed. So I ended up going to the grocery store later that day and just say, okay, let's just even think, how much does it cost to make cookies? And what other types besides chocolate chip would we think about making? So I called him back later the same day and said, let's give it a try. And we spent about two weeks just researching those kind of basics. How would we package them? Where are we going to do this from? What's going to be our flavors? Designing a little menu. And two weeks later, we went back to college and began our cookie delivery service out of his college apartment. We bought a cell phone, right? So we needed some place for people to place orders. So we got a cell phone. So we would have a direct line and customers could call in and we printed up a bunch of flyers, tossed them around campus and then got started. 
And about a year later, we launched our website, which is cookiedelivery.com. And we grabbed that URL in the year 2000 and put up a really, really rudimentary online ordering system. So we were actually one of the very, on the very first cusp of people taking orders online far before even the huge pizza chains were doing it. And what's really funny is we didn't realize it. This thing about being young and naive, we were 19 years old. We had no idea that when we started the business uh, at that time, it was completely illegal to do a home-based food business. And that's what we were doing. But it's just, you know, one of those things you don't know, but you don't know. Wow. Ahead of your time. Well, I read your book. It's not just cookies. And it's interesting because your road from an illegal college apartment business to what you are today had plenty of bumps in the road. And one thing I really like about the book is you celebrate your successes in it, of course, but you're really transparent about all of your failures along the way. So I'm curious if you could give us some insights on sort of some of the failures you encountered, but more importantly, I think the importance of acknowledging your failures and and what you sort of learn from them. One of our bigger failures was a little walk-up location that we built. There's a street in Austin called Sixth Street. It's famous for being a string of bars that's open late night. And there are pizza stands along the way. There are some hot dog stand vendor type things. And we thought, let's jump off from our warm cookie delivery and also do this cookie walk-up. Fast forward, one thing we found out was that drunk people don't really want cookies. They do want that hot dog and that pizza. So it didn't really work for the the people that were were there. And it was a pretty big failure. We put tons of blood, sweat, and tears, a little bit more money than we had to put into it. And it just was, you know, there just wasn't demand for it, number one. Number two, we stretched ourselves way, way, way too thin. It was open till two in the morning. And what we really found from that too was that when the brand was new, we were confusing people because customers would come and they'd never heard of us. We had only been open a couple of years in our normal delivery business. And we tried to explain who we were. And so they would come up and get one cookie. And we'd say, but what we really do is warm cookie delivery. And they were like, well, but are you doing that here? We're like, no, these are just already ready. And it was really confusing to the customer. So what we learned, we learned a ton from it. But one thing we learned was when you're building a brand to keep your offering sort of narrow enough for the customer to understand what it is and lean into the thing that is making magic for you because we were having sort of this magical experience with this warm cookie fresh out of the oven delivery. People were receiving it. They were loving it. And and it was really hitting a nerve with people in a positive way. We could have taken our eye off of that by chasing after this other thing. Why do you think it's important to be open about your failures as, as much or even maybe more so as your successes? I'm curious because your book is so transparent on that. You know, I think for us, from the outside, it seems like we just decided to have an idea and we gave it a try and overnight it was just an instant success. And it really isn't doing the journey justice. So for us, we really believe that the reason why we've been able to have any success at all is that we failed and we learned from our failures. And so it's one of those things that even to, to this day, we still feel like we're failing all the time. We're just failing in massively bigger ways when we failed back then when it was just me and her. But I think it's important. You got to learn from them. And I think people can fail and sweep it under the rug. But again, I don't think you're doing justice for yourself and for your learnings. It's, it's really what you do after the failure that kind of determines your fate. 
Well, I want to go back in time a little bit and talk about your upbringing because from what I understand, the two of you had sort of different upbringings. And I'm curious how you were raised, you know, how you grew up influenced the values that you have today and shape the path that you took in terms of your career and uh, where you are now. Yeah, I'll start because uh, mine was pretty much a traditional kind of immigrant Asian family. I was born in Taiwan, but I came here when I was a year old. My parents were very studious and it was always growing up, you're going to be a doctor or you're going to be a lawyer or let's talk about business. And I would overhear my parents' conversations and they'd be talking about, hey, this seems like it'd be a good business or hey, we've seen this work out in Taiwan. We should bring it over here to the, to the United States and, and start a business. And that would be our dinner table conversations. And I literally thought that that is exactly how everybody's family dinners went. It was just about business and how to create a business. And so from a very early age, I just, my brain was taught to think that way, uh, which is really funny because then when I met Tiff, it, it couldn't be further from the truth. It, it makes me laugh because I have a, a vision in my head over, obviously I wasn't there during his these childhood dinner conversations, but I can picture it. And if you were to see what my family was doing at the exact same time, we would have been at a restaurant with, there are some restaurants they'll put like butcher paper down so that you can color. And our whole family would just be coloring on the paper to see who can do the best drawing. And so <laughs> we're having like not intellectual conversations. We did not speak about money, about business. I mean, not that it was taboo, it just wasn't part of our lives. Although Tiff and Leon may have had different upbringings and money stories, as we like to say, the both of them agree on a core set of values that they wish to impart to their children. Values that we find common among many of the successful business-owning families we work with. My mom was very good about having us honor the commitments that we made. So if you made a commitment to taking piano, for example. You're going to take it for the time period that we committed to. Let's say it's a year. In my case, she made me take it for three years. So on year three, day one, I quit because I didn't like it. But I took it the whole three years. And not only that, but I practiced every night, whatever the designated practice amount was, you did it. If you volunteered to do something at church that Sunday and you didn't feel like doing it, well, you better get up there and do it because you said you were going to do it, so you're going to do it. I really value that now even more so as a mom to see how exhausting that must be to stay on your children to make sure that they are being responsible adult and becoming responsible adults. And that's what she did for me. Also, my mom's the hardest worker in the world. She can outwork any of us even now. And so I was able to see that, see what hard work looks like and not shy away from it. You mentioned being a mom, and I know that the two of you welcomed twins into the world a couple of years ago. And on the topic of values, which we've been discussing with your own upbringing, I'm curious, as your twins get older, you know, and they start approaching the college years someday, how do you think about instilling values in them that you think will help them in their lives and that are important to the two of you? They're so important to us that we started instilling them when they were two years old, right when they could barely speak. And now they're eight years old and we still quiz them about it all the time. And there's three main values for our family that we, we ask them about. And if you ask our kids, hey, what are the three main values? They will tell you 
to be nice, to be hardworking, to be grateful. We have videos of our little daughter where she can barely pronounce those words saying that. So I guess on accident, that's just meant so much to me and Tiff that we've really wanted to instill it at an early age. We now use it in a way where we will be able to pull them aside and say, hey, that's not very grateful that, or that wasn't very nice. They sometimes ask us just out of the blue, which one of the three am I best at? Or which one of the, of the three am I worst at? And then you kind of have to sit there and I try to be as honest as possible. Because sometimes it's easy to compliment things like talent or beauty. That's sort of why we have these there to say, it's great to be pretty or it's great to be fast. But what's most important to us is that you are nice, you are hardworking, and you are grateful. And mostly just because we think that makes for a good person. It's really not about success in business or even success in life. To us, it's just about our job is to make them good people. And whatever they become in terms of career, that's up to them. Whatever makes them happy is great with me. But I would hate to feel like I raised two people who, who weren't good people. I think that's so important also for a lot of the business owners that I talk to who are dealing with the challenge of having grown up middle class, having created something that has generated wealth for their family. And now they have kids and the values that they had when they were growing up, they want to instill in their kids. And there's this almost like concern that somehow the fact that their kids are growing up with a lot more privilege than they had would impede the ability for their kids to be grateful or to be hardworking or to, to have the grit that, that was so important to them growing up. Yeah, I think grateful is exactly what I was going to say with that. That's the biggest fear, right? If you don't bring that gratefulness to the forefront, it's very easy to just take for granted, oh, when we travel, we travel on an airplane. When we stay in a hotel, it's a nice hotel. Um, we, you know, And this is just the way life works. And so we certainly remind them a lot. I think every parent has a hard time. You know, it's the, that sort of, when I was growing up, I, you know, walked uphill two ways and no kid's really going to really understand that. But it is important to keep that to the front of your mind and realize that they are growing up in a different way than we did and sort of see that through their eyes and figure out, okay, how do I bring them almost back down to earth a little bit? And it's really hard to do because when we travel, let's say, Tiff, the way she grew up, they road tripped it everywhere, right? Well, I hate driving and I don't want to road trip it. So I'd like to fly if I can. So it's like, there are things that I want to do for my comfort, but it's like, man, I don't know. Like, you know, are they going to grow up with the same, exactly what you said, Eric, grit and, um, you know, that really is remain to be seen. However, when they do deal with hardships, I do think about it. I do think, well, you know, this isn't the worst thing in the world. Their soccer teams was dead last last year. I think they lost every single game. Maybe they won the last game. But as they were losing every single game and being the worst soccer team, you know, in the league, I was thinking to myself, well, you know, that's okay. You know, it's good for them to kind of learn this. So that that's how I at least rationalize it. Well, I want to turn back to the business for a minute. And I understand that early on, you were a bit hesitant to, as your business was growing, to have a board of directors, but you've since adopted a board and I believe it's helped you grow and pushed you to, to expand the business. Can you talk a little bit about maybe your initial hesitancy and then how the board that you have today has been working out for you? Yeah. 
So when we first took our initial round of investment, it was an angel investor, a single person. And when we were putting that idea together that we would take investment, we said, well, we don't want to have a board, right? That'll be our non-negotiable. We'll take an investment, but we won't have a board. And the reason for that is we didn't want somebody from the outside coming in and sort of either telling us what to do or not really understanding and being there day to day and making decisions for us that were not right. So we were nervous about it. And of course, the reality is that nobody's going to invest without asking for a seat on the board, I think. And we learned that pretty quickly. And so we immediately, once it was real and we really had investment money coming in and they said, but we're just going to need to create a board and I'll have a seat on it. We sort of switched our non-negotiable pretty quick. And we were like, well, okay, sure, sure, we'll do it. But what we found with this initial board, it was in a loving way. We were all sort of trusted each other and it was a really great group. So we knew that they had our best interest in mind. For example, they said, you've got to stop working in your business. You guys are in the kitchen way too much. You will never grow if you're taking cookies out of the oven, you know, eight hours a day. We were doing our accounting all wrong and we knew it, right? But we didn't have any really external factor that was going to make us change it until the board. And they said, you can't keep accounting it this way. They were just the ones to push and say, you need to do it. Yeah, I think we would have easily failed with the wrong board at first because the nature of what we were doing, nobody had ever thought to do a business where it was baked to order warm cookie delivery on demand. And so we had to do a lot of things that weren't traditional. And because this board was supportive and understood that we were doing something that kind of had never been done before, it felt like we had the support when we needed it, but we also were allowed to have the creativity and the safety net of failure. Since Tiff and I do learn from failure more than anything else, it was always a safe, place in a safe space to fail. As Tiff and Leon continued to grow their business with the support of their board, I was curious if they had given any thought to their long-term plans or life after Tiff's treats. Well, before the pandemic, I would have said, I'll never retire. No way. This is, you know, I'm going to do this forever. And, you know, over the past three years, although for us, we've been fortunate, we were very fortunate during the pandemic because we were so busy, it's still taking its toll. And now if you ask me, I'm like, okay, well, I could maybe see myself taking it easy one day. And so it feels like the longer I keep doing this, the more I'm thinking, okay, retirement is going to be a possibility, a feasibility, but I don't think for me it'll ever be retirement like the stereotypical retirement. I always want to do something. I, you know, I want to be productive. And so I try to remind myself during some hard times, I'm going to miss this one day. One of the first questions people will ask you when you are taking on investment, so this started happening to us ages ago, is what's the exit plan? And it used to kind of, I was almost offended when that question would come up. I'd be like, exit? That's, this is a, you know, this is what we do. Like we're doing this. And just as you get older, you start thinking, well, maybe we should realistically start entertaining that idea that there could at some point be an exit. And what do you do after that? You know, you're going to want to do something productive because that's when for anybody, that's when you're happiest is when you, when you're creating something. And I think time in life has a lot to do with it. You know, I want my daughter to see me 
work and and like she I want her to to see my work ethic. Yeah. I don't want them growing up thinking that it was just a life of leisure because it's not. And there's a lot of work that goes on. And I think you lead by example. And so it's something that's always in our minds that we want them to see us having a wonderful life with them, but also having something else that's important in our lives and working towards something. That's a great point. I really love that, which is, you know, even if let's pretend you could have a successful exit right now, the one of the things that's motivating you to continue to work is to set an example for your kids of how, look, it's hard. I'm working hard at something I love and I'm struggling. Sometimes we're failing. Sometimes we're succeeding. I guess on that point, one of the questions I like to ask our guests is about your why, if you will. A lot of business owners we work with, they work really hard and the hard work they put into their business is not to be honest about financial gain. There's some underlying reason that motivates them to get up in the morning and and do the work. And so I'm curious, when you think about the hard work that you're putting into building your business, what's the why for you? When we very first started this business, we were not a why business. We were solving a problem business. At least that's what we thought. We were solving a problem, which was you can't get anything sweet delivered, especially late night, especially on demand. And we solved that problem. But what we found pretty quickly was that it was touching an an emotional cord with people. And we tried to figure out why is that? And what we've learned from our customers is that people use our warm cookie delivery service to connect with someone else. And so they will send it to someone to say, happy birthday, or I'm thinking about you. We had someone send cookies from a dog that had recently passed away and they sent to the owners from the dog saying, I'm happy here. I'm seeing my my brother who I guess the, the other dog had already passed. And just imagine the moment that those dog parents received that and the comfort and the joy that they felt by reading that message and knowing that this came from an anonymous loved one that knew that they were in a time of, of struggle. And we get to be a part of that. And so the why, it's not just for he and I, but for everybody that works at Tiff Streets, it's really clear and really easy to see that we are doing something that is helping people connect and helping people in moments of joy, in moments of sadness, comfort, and excitement. And so that's really where it turned for us to be becoming sort of purpose-driven on top of you know problem solving. We get to see the best of humanity. If you think about the last few years, I think everyone has only seen the worst of humanity and you kind of, people are more separated than ever based on silly ideas or disagreeing or not willing to listen to the other side. And yet what we always see every single day is that you take all that stuff away. There's real love in this world and, and compassion. That's exactly why we do what we do. Yeah, that's such a great story. And it's so true. You you almost have the sort of behind the scenes view into the compassion that people are are literally sending each other through through your business. So I, I love that idea. Well, I want to touch maybe, I guess we have some time on a couple of additional questions. What is it like being in business with your spouse and how do you deal with conflict along the way? Not gracefully is what I always say. It isn't something we would recommend for just any couple. I think probably only 10% of couples can actually work together like we do and 
make it work uh, either through the business or personally. We're just very fortunate that we are so completely different than each other. Everything that I'm good at and like to do, she doesn't like to do and isn't as good at and vice versa. And so it kind of fits well. But even with that, we still struggle as far as being a couple and running the business. Yeah, well, we see things differently and our personalities are opposites. So it can be hard to appreciate the other person's point of view all the time. But I think that's something that we've worked towards is valuing what they're bringing to the table and knowing that if we didn't have what they're bringing to the table, we would not be successful and hopefully vice versa on that. Like Leon said, we, we disagree a lot, um, but we've come to a place of at least, I think, shortening those disagreements, the time length, because there's nothing like having to jump into a meeting that's starting in two minutes and you're at the height of a fight and you got to you got to bring it down in two minutes. And w- I think that's something that we used to be worse at is that we kind of couldn't get it together. And now I think we can simmer it down faster. And that's that's the growth. I will tell you, though, if you can work together as a couple, what you get on the other side of that is truly amazing. It's amazing to be able to share something where you've, you know, you know, only I know what Tiff has been through. Only I know the amount of blood, sweat and tears. And when you share in that together, like if you can actually get to the other side of it, man, that's a, that's like a really incredible bond that, that we have together. So it's like high risk and high reward at the same time. As we have heard before on our show, successfully navigating family dynamics within a business requires respect for what each business partner brings to the table and a willingness to address conflict head-on for the long-term benefit of the family and the business. Many college students dream of starting their own business. Tiff and Leon, after years of hard work, have turned their own dream into a reality. I asked Tiff and Leon if they have any advice for young entrepreneurs who are just starting out on their own journey. Yeah, I think the takeaway for me is just get started. So do a little planning, do some homework, know what you're trying to do, but don't over plan it. It can be really hard to over model something and think it to death. Just take that first step and and get started and iterate along the way. It doesn't have to be perfect when you start, just get going and know that it's going to be hard work. There's no successful person in business who hasn't done the hard work themselves and know that it's that you're signing up for putting all of your energy into it. There's no problem with doing side hustles. I think it's just make sure that you know where your focus is going to be and know that you can't evenly distribute focus amongst everything at once. So Choose if it's the right, t- is it the right time in your life to do this? Um, because if, if the business you're trying to build is really on the back burner, maybe wait until another time when you can, it, it's not possible for that to be the only thing in your life, right? There's real things, there's family, there's commitments, but you got to at least be able to put your passion and your energy and your focus into the business or it's not going to get off the ground. I agree wholeheartedly. And really the last thing I'd say is something that Tiff's professor told her in college, Tiff was a theater major to start, and uh, she, she sat in the class where the professor told the class, if you could be happy in life, 
being anything else but an actor, go do that. But if you can't, then this is for you. And I kind of feel the same way. If you have passions and if you're happy and if there's a career that can make you happy, go do that because this is definitely not for the faint of heart. It really is a, a real marathon. And every day you wake up with something new that you learn, something bad that happens, a new challenge. And it's uh, it really is a roller coaster. And so uh, I will say that just it, it's not something that I want to say, hey, everybody should do. So I know you published your book, It's Not Just Cookies, last April. And I'm curious, what inspired you to write a book and, and maybe, if you will, memorialize your story for others? Yeah. You know, we had been in business 23 years already, or almost, when we published that book and felt like a good time to go ahead and start putting that story down, both for us to be able to remember it, but to share with other people, to, to share what it sort of took to get us from where we started to where we are now. But we thought it was a great time to do it, not in retrospect, but right when we're still in the middle of growth. In terms of growth, we feel like we're still sort of in the early stages of our big growth. And so we wanted to get down what our story had been, sort of how we got from where we started to where we are now, and then with sort of an eye towards the future on what still may be ahead for us. It's one of those things when you're in it, I'm really bad at taking a moment to be like, oh, that was really awesome. And because there's just the next challenge ahead, kind of sitting down and remembering the stories. It was nice for me. And even the things that while we were in it was the worst thing that could possibly happen at the moment. Five, 10 years later, and you look back on you can laugh about it. You could point out why that needed to happen in order for us to have seen any success. And it's just, it was really cool to kind of reflect back on that. It, it felt like therapy to me. I actually hearken back to that process today. When we deal with challenges today, I kind of remember back in the early days, like, oh, you know, I, I remember feeling this terrible that X, Y, and Z happened, but man, thank goodness it happened. And so I try to remember that as we go on. So for me, it was therapeutic and it was, uh, it was a great trip down memory lane. Although they are still in the middle of their journey as entrepreneurs, Tiff and Leon have already implemented many of the principles that are common among business-owning families who have successfully built, sustained, and transferred their wealth to the next generation. One, through their board, they are inviting outside perspectives that can help them continue to grow their business. Two, they understand their own money story and have a good sense of the why that drives them to work hard at what they love doing. And three, they have learned from their failures and encourage their children to do the same. A big thank you to Tiff and Leon for sharing their story with us today. And I can't wait to see what's in store for Tiff's Treats as they continue their journey on the road to why. If you enjoyed our conversation today, please remember to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. We'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.